Welcome back to Spotlight 19. Justin Tracy here. We'll be talking to the founders of Kingston Creative today, the creators of a viral Medicare for All guide, as well as Medicare for All activists in New York 19. Before we get to Fazo's votes and the five fast Fazo facts section, the election in Assembly District 102 was held on April 24th. Aidan O'Connor, the Democrat, is currently trailing Chris Taig, the Republican, by 288 votes. There are still absentee ballots to be counted, but even if this is an ultimate loss for Democrats, it shows a 22-point shift from the Republicans to the Democrats in counties that are part of New York 19. And the same shift happened over in Rensselaer County as well, which is also in New York 19. These are good signs for our November election to fire Fazo. Now, to Fazo's votes. We'll start with a good bill for me, personally, and one that was unanimously supported. It's called the HR 5447 Modernizing Music Copyright Law, and it would ensure the artists, specifically songwriters, as well as producers and engineers, also to get royalties from digital streaming companies. It also allows recordings before 1972 to collect royalties, which has mixed levels of support, but this bill passed with every member of the House voting for it. Next, Fazo voted to keep the dams at the Columbia and Snake Rivers in Washington operating until 2022. A federal judge found that the dams were not doing enough to protect young salmon migrating to the oceans and to stop their operating by increasing spillover the dams. However, Congress is now going to allow the dams to continue to operate despite the judge's order and the impact on salmon, fisheries, and the fishing industry. Fazo had an Earth Day post claiming he's out to protect the environment, but this bill shows otherwise. Finally, we talked last week about the Farm Bill and its attack on SNAP, or food stamp recipients. Fazo has voted in favor of the Farm Bill, at least the vote to bring it to the floor in committee, so the House hasn't voted on it yet. Folks have been really focused on the $20 billion cut to SNAP, but the bill also includes a carve-out allowing pesticides to be exempt from the Endangered Species Act. So not only does Faso want more people in the district to be hungry, he also has no interest in protecting our beautiful endangered species. The farm bill will be debated in May. This is our 1998 edition. Number one. In 1998, Fazo voted against a bill that would have protected kids from toxic substances in their school. Number two. The same year, Fazo voted against the Children's Weapon Accident Prevention Act, which would have required gun owners to safely store firearms and use locking devices in order to reduce child deaths. He did not like kids in 1998. Number three. Fazo voted against limiting the amount of political committees that could influence elections. That has helped him so much now as his campaign rakes in NRA, John Bolton, and Mercer Money. Number four. Fazo also didn't like car owners in 1998. He voted against a bill to keep car insurance rates low 
and to establish an official consumer advocate office for consumers. And number five. He voted against reducing the amount of solid waste in New York State. You're listening to Spotlight 19. Now we move to our interview section with Alex and Gabby and Saja at the helm. Today we're here with Alex Panagiotopoulos and Gabby Green, who are with Kingston Creative, and they're also Medicare for All activists, and they're volunteering with the Dave Quack campaign. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. It's great to finally be here, the hollow grounds of Spotlight 19. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you're our first non-candidate we've had on since January, so that's kind of exciting. Yes. Wow. There's no kind of political pretense surrounding you too, so it's a nice change of not, pace. Not that you know of. <laughs> not yet, at least. I'll, I'll get it out of you. Um, so you guys are here today because you guys actually prepared a Medicare for All guide. It was retweeted by Rob Delaney, which was really exciting because we don't actually follow that many celebrities, but we do follow him. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Kingston Creative and why you uh, created this amazing guide for people? So uh, Kingston Creative has been a thing for almost three years now. And uh, Gabby had been freelancing for like five or six years before that doing web design and graphic design, right? Uh, since 2012 and then we started Kingston Creative in 2015 yeah. so it was yeah a good solid like three years before yeah. so we yeah we decided you know we were married and we decided to combine our forces because Gabby is a really good designer and I'm I come from more of a marketing and writing background journalism so we've been making websites doing marketing campaigns we have an employee we have an office in uptown Kingston but as uh, small business owners you know I feel like the last few years we've been kind of you know moving in this direction of, of realizing that there's no safety net for people like us you know we kind of exist in the gig economy clients come and go projects begin and end and if there's a slow time there's just nothing to protect us you know from having an accident or something so we've been uninsured the whole time we've been running the business seeing this primary play out a little bit with was it four candidates who strongly support medicare for all and three who either do not or won't commit to a solid plan you know we've kind of been seeing the arguments about it and um, we were wondering on our own end like how, is this representative of what's happening across the country in all the democratic primaries so and, we made this and what did you actually find out what's going on across the country are most candidates actually supporting medicare for all yep so we looked uh, so first of all um two-thirds of the democrats in congress already are co-sponsoring hr 676 which is the concrete plan for Medicare for all um, that's kind of born from the Bernie Sanders campaign. And then so uh, the hard part was at the time of making this thing, there were 561 candidates who were non-incumbent Democrats running in primaries for Congress. We found that about 48 percent of them strongly support Medicare for all, either by saying it on their website or saying that they would co-sponsor it, saying it in interviews that they would co-sponsor it. And then 52 percent do not. Um, So they say 
some combination of public option or they support the idea of universal health care or Medicare extra for all, which is a kind of deception that's being put out there by mainstream Democrats. So, you know, between two thirds of Democrats in Congress and almost 50 percent of people running, you know, you're kind of in the minority if you're not supporting Medicare for all at this point as a Democrat. Is there a difference between single payer when somebody says I'm for single payer and committing to Medicare for all? Because we I think we've seen that in our primary a little bit. Well, I think Medicare for all is it is the concrete thing that you can support that is there already. And, you know, it's a conscious branding decision to call it Medicare for all because it's already a program that a lot of people know about and like. A single payer can kind of make people say, what? what? You know, uh, so Medicare for all, I think, is to us, they're the same thing. Yeah, and something you told me was that universal now is like, it, universal used to sort of be synonymous with Medicare for all, but now I guess universal has sort of turned into this term that's a way to not say Medicare for all, but kind of imply it. So it's, right? Yeah. My understanding of universal healthcare is that you want everyone to be covered, but you're not exactly explaining how... Yeah. yeah, they're going to be covered. And that's the part you're leaving open ended and giving you some political leeway, if you will. And I think both of our I'm going to say both because it's still a little bit unclear about whether Aaron Collier fully supports Medicare for all on yeah. our show. She did say she would support it, but it's not 100 percent clear if she supports, you know, voting for it if it comes to the floor. Yeah. So um, but we do have like a more concrete understanding of the positions of Pat and Antonio who want people to be able to buy into Medicare, which is a little bit different from the Medicare for all bill is it, it very is, different. And um, one of the reasons I was able to find out about you guys is because you have been a very avid poster on the <laughs> various John Fazzo message boards on Facebook and kind of criticizing the candidates. Well, what do they mean when they say buying into Medicare for all? So I wanted mm -hmm. to hear your thoughts a little bit more on yeah. that and why you are really, I mean, you can recharacterize how I'm <laughs> saying, but you're kind of against that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, so I think where it all begins is we're holding politicians to the standard of John Faso took away my health care or John Faso is why I don't have health care and a minor accident can bankrupt me, which is true. Uh, a, a minor accident, if one of us slips while we're going out for a jog and we tear our ACL or something, we're pretty screwed. So so if we're going to hold politicians to that standard and if we're going to be going door to door advocating for these candidates, I want to be able to say that my candidate supports something that's going to fix the systemic problem. So uh, what's been going on with, you know, I actually listened to Antonio on this podcast and I was getting pretty mad because, you know, a lot of the arguments that he seemed to be using against Medicare for all were in bad faith, asking how we're going to pay for it. Like, uh, how are we paying for it now? I mean, we're paying more than any other country in the entire world. And 10 percent of the population is uninsured, tens of millions more are underinsured. And there are, you know, there have been CBO estimates of how much a single pair plan would cost. For example, Bernie Sanders' plan would cost um, a family making $50,000 a year would pay about $1,000 extra in taxes to have healthcare be free at the point of service. Now compare that to the market-based solution, which, you know, the public option is very market-friendly. Um, it's 
making capitalism 10% more equitable for everybody. So the CBO estimate of um, a plan in 2013 to add a public option to Obamacare found that um, you know the the plans offered would be about would be about 10% cheaper than a plan on the marketplace. So I'm not interested in saving like $30 a month. I'm interested in you know being guaranteed health coverage where I can I don't have to look at my bank account if I don't feel well. Um, where I can just show up at the doctor and know that it's going to be covered. Uh, we had an experience last summer where we tried to play by the rules and, you know, start looking into shoulder surgery for Gabby. And I don't know, maybe you want to tell the story about like. Well, I have I have a bad <clears throat> shoulder. I have an old injury from 10 years ago, and I got it when I was 21, around there. And I'm 32 now. Or, yeah, so I must have been 22. So, yeah, I just kept thinking, oh, once I have a good job, I'll have insurance and I'll be able to get it fixed. And, you know, 10 years later, we're, I'm still like, wait, I'm like, I own a business, I employ people and I still can't afford, I'm playing by all the rules and I still can't afford to get it fixed. We tried to go to, what's the name of that? Orthopedic uh, Associates. Orthopedic Associates. And um, being self-pay at one of those places is like, it's crazy. We wanted to know how much could it potentially cost? What insurances would cover the surgery? Just to find the answers to those questions costs thousands of dollars of, you know, well, you need this test. You need this test. You need to get a referral from this person. And to find out even if insurance would cover it, that's the other thing is that the marketplace for insurance, not only do you pay thousands in premiums every year, but then there's a deductible you have to meet. And then beyond that, there's no guarantee that if you go to the hospital, that hospitals a network and then if the hospital is a network then maybe the provider isn't in network so mm -hmm. the system is just totally messed up part of it's informed also i worked in the healthcare industry for 10 years doing marketing for pretty much every level of it and the whole time i barely ever had insurance i could never afford it so all these experiences have kind of added up into this year you know after bernie sanders became the most popular politician in america and his signature platform is Medicare for All. Seeing it play out in this primary, both of us have been frustrated and posting a lot and getting into fights. And then I was like, wait a second, we, we can actually create something new and, and answer one of these really important questions about what is it beyond NY19 and what, what's the rest of the country doing? So Yeah, and it's important to put pressure on the candidates right now, as we can see with like Cynthia Nixon. She's putting the pressure on Cuomo to like, Push him to the left. Be a liberal. Do <laughs> yeah. a hard left turn. Yeah. I was actually just listening to a speech Cuomo gave about how, I mean, he just signed an executive, this is unrelated, but he signed the executive order to allow parolees to vote, which, and he's giving this impassioned, inspired by Martin Luther King Jr. speech and saying how it was a travesty that they couldn't vote, but, you know, the, the whole time it's been his fault that they... Yeah, haven't been able yeah, the to timing, do so. But, the timing is so weird. Uh, <laughs> but you know, you know that that's just a response to the pressure that's being put on him right now. So it's it's interesting because I I do think when we first interviewed all the candidates back last summer, they weren't saying that they were for Medicare for all at the time, or at least the ones that have that have come out now. They were still kind of trying to feel it out and see if it was viable and to see if people were going to go for it because I think there's this fear that. 
this is a red congressional district and so you get that fear of people spreading the word that oh he's he's a socialist because he wants the government to make all your health care decisions for you and then you get back into the death panel debate and all the outrage over well, well there's a lot of services that red states endorse firefighters and police and they're socialized <laughs> right yeah. sure and and the other thing too is that we saw this already with Obamacare. It's going to be, no matter what happens, it's going to be a knockdown, drag out battle. And if I'm going to be, and if everyone's going to be fighting and advocating and protesting and resisting, I, I want to be advocating for the solution that will actually make everyone's life materially better. Because the, part of the problem with Obamacare was that it wasn't, it didn't go far enough. It didn't help enough people to be popular enough to protect Democrats in office. And also, um, you know, enough people just didn't notice a difference. So if you think ahead to like 2022, like let's say Patonio Rigato wins, <laughs> wins and is our representative and their plan is 100% enacted. Um, and then in 2022, when there's a, inevitably going to be a reactionary red wave again, if their plan isn't doing enough to help people, then it's going to be easy to point at it and say, well, you know, the Democrats, they just they can't figure it out and they're going to get swept out of office. We can really use this opportunity to make a really measurable gain that makes people's lives so much better. And if it works quickly enough, Democrats are going to be really protected in office. It's it could be really great. I mean, part of it is that, you know, Medicare is not necessarily as good as having awesome private insurance. But if every single person in the country has the same insurance, um, people are going to care about it being good. And it's going to be something that we all share. Um, I know a big thing about the single payer model is that there are still going to be good providers that are preferred by people that get better outcomes. And those people um, can be compensated better than providers that don't get that don't get the same results so i feel like you know there's still going to be room for providers to be you know good providers to be co compensated the most the other thing too just because there's a system that allows you to have good insurance and good coverage i mean we don't have anything we don't have any coverage like we work hard every single day like yeah advocate, yeah, of, yeah of course yeah. of course but i mean covered. and i know you know you're very you say that in the most empathetic way but the overall thing is like we work hard every single day we we put ourselves out there we employ a person we invest in the local economy and we just want you know we just want healthcare. so the system that you know allows some people to have better than other people when it's something that is a human right it just doesn't make sense uh well, and say? to address like the last point about losing jobs because of the healthcare industry, if people didn't have to worry about how they were going to live, you know, and have healthcare, they'd be freed up to innovate, you know, to speak like a capitalist, <laughs> Republican, you know, type, per you know, conservative type person. If the employer was not responsible for providing that, they would be freed up to reinvest that money that was tied up in insurance. They could reinvest that into their business. Um, people could, you know, be freed up not having the the worry of healthcare on your mind. You could be freed up to actually do more things. So it could grow industries 
if you're not being held back by just surviving life. Yeah, and the other the other concrete thing is that HR 676 does account for a massive retraining program. You know, we've heard this horrible bad faith argument all the time about like, what about the insurance adjusters? What are they going to do? <laughs> and same thing with healthcare marketers. Get some hobbies. Yeah, like we we <laughs> you know. Yeah, like my livelihood was in healthcare marketing for a long time. I would love nothing more than if that money being spent on healthcare marketing, like, for example, I worked at a community hospital system in Kingston where we met uh, Health Alliance. It's a struggling community hospital, nonprofit. Um, Their total budget is like $180 million a year. And about half a percent of that is spent every year on marketing, which um, they're trying to attract the most profitable procedures like knee surgery, knee replacement, because that's the only, that's the, uh, that's only, those are the only procedures that compensate the best. And they have to do that because the healthcare system is so messed up. They bleed money every year. They need massive bailouts just to keep the lights on. Um, So if this system was just more equitable and um, open to being reformed, that marketing money, that my, you know, my old jobs, why can't we have giant ad campaigns about keeping people healthy or healthy eating or something instead of just so much being put into like orthopedic ads and heart cardiologist ads or, you know, things like that. They're just driving volume. Because then Um, you de-incentivize being unhealthy because it's, you take the profit out of being unhealthy. Right. Right. I mean, if you go back to the original Affordable Care Act, there were so many incentives in place for, you know, doing wellness and just like even an incentive for people who were active or part of a gym you and it was it was a you know the republicans would make fun of it because it was very long and had thousands of pages but it really accounted for every possible outcome and for me in this primary and you know we're we're neutral (laughs) about the candidates and we're going to put our support behind whoever wins but i think by committing to Medicare for all, you could possibly get to the public option. Whereas if you're only committing to the public option, you probably likely won't get very far at all. Because if you look at the Affordable Care Act, it did include a public option and they weren't able to get it. And yeah, and keep in mind, all three branches of government were controlled by Democrats at that time. Right. So, so we voluntarily gave it up to appease the Paul Ryans of the world yeah. who don't really care about the budget. They they increased the deficit so much, and then Paul Ryan's like, eh, you know, I'm out. I'll call, I'll be back in 2022 when the <laughs> you know after the, there's a reactionary red wave yeah. again. The left the left strategy has to be less about reaching across the aisle and more about sticking to our guns, right. and then say like, okay, we're going to come to the table with everyone else who's yeah. sticking to their guns, and we're going to advocate for. Right. right. I think if they if the house sends, let's say there is a blue wave, I don't know how things will turn out here, but they I guess we only need the Democrats need 24 seats. They get HR 676 passed, it goes to the Senate and it gets kicked back with just a public option. That's a scenario I could actually see playing out, but in order to get there you need the votes in the house and way back last summer when we were just out canvassing so many people that are voters in the democratic primary said medicare for all is my litmus test
you guys are supporting Dave Clegg, who we've had on the show twice, um, and you're supporting him as volunteers, right? Yep. No, we're not working for him. And you guys also did some work for Jeff Beals. They uh, retained you to yep. do some work for them. So we have four candidates who are Medicare for All. Why did you choose Dave? Well, I think Dave's connection to Medicare for All comes from a very personal place where you know you saw in his first ad that he put out that um, his daughter, Jessica, who we, you know, we're friends with now, she's really nice. She had a, a birth a birth defect, which was determined to be a pre-existing condition. And Dave, at that time, um, you know, him and his wife, it was a really, it was a personally affecting time for them where Medicare for All would have been a huge difference maker in just helping their daughter make it. So I feel like Dave's life story seems to come from a place where he was personally affected by Medicare for All. And I feel the most confident that because of his personal connection to it, he's not going to just lay down in the chalk outline of of the Democrats that the Republicans have made for us. Um, I really think, you know, he says uh, he'll fight for Medicare for all until his dying breath. So to me, you know, because because we care so much about Medicare for all, um, hearing Dave talk like that inspires us uh, to go out and knock on doors on a nice day to on a nice make it day, happen. which we haven't yeah. had too much of. Right. I'm sure <laughs> he goes out on like not nice days too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted to know a little bit. You guys did do petitioning for Dave and what that process was like. Did you get a feel? What did you get a feel for when you were out, you know, talking to people? Do they know about the primary? Mm-hmm. Do they know about the candidates at all? Yeah. We're kind of hyper involved, obviously, but what was you your know, general the, sense of people? The world out there is very different from the Listen to Us John Faso group on <laughs> Facebook. Uh, most people have no idea. Um, the, the, the time I was petitioning, it was in Kingston. It was with people who voted in the last primary, so prime voters. And my sample size is very different from other people because Dave's been in the Kingston community for a long time. Um, so there's a lot of recognition for him. Um, so people knew about his uh, sponsorship of bas- youth basketball teams. You know, he plays basketball at the Y a lot. Uh, people knew his wife from being a teacher and um, being out in the community a lot. So, um, you know, it was it was very different from a conversation on Facebook that you have. It was it was very much like, oh, I've heard of that guy. I'll I'll sign the petition, and you know, and then. T- seeing where the conversation goes. And then um, some people will want literature and um, really it'll be their their gateway into learning about the primary. Did you feel that the people you were talking to even knew we had six, now seven candidates in the ring? Not really. I, I, really, I really think there is a bubble uh, about the primary and the next two months are really going to be where people start paying attention to it. Thanks so much for telling us about your petitioning experience because Justin and I actually didn't end up uh, petitioning since, uh, you know, you can't be a witness for multiple petitions and there ends up being different issues. And um, but it seems that, you know, Dave is going to be on the ballot along with at least five other Democrats. So it will be a very 
interesting next two months so is kings what are what's next for kingston creative are they going to stay politically active or uh how will they stay involved uh in the coming months Mm -hmm. uh well what ends up happening um you know in the last couple years since the company started we have been working on political campaigns so two years ago we worked with uh sharon graff who was running for surrogates court judge in Ulster County. And then we also worked with Sarah Nicoli um, on doing social media targeting and creative, um, you know, to target voters with stuff in their newsfeed and on banner ads and stuff. Last year, we worked with Mike Baden in the town of Rochester, Shannon Harris in the town of Asopus, once again, doing digital media and a website. So I expect that we'll probably be doing some more of that this year. It's a little early right now. Um, and we are going to be putting out another Medicare for All guide um, with updates on everyone's fundraising totals. And also there's been a lot of new people uh, who've gotten into races. So I do want to update the stats a little bit. How not that incredibly time consuming to look at all of the races? Because I yeah. can hardly keep up with the seven candidates we have yeah you know it was tough so what happened was i looked up everyone i downloaded from the fec everyone who had raised over a thousand dollars by the end of last year and then i basically had to go through and google each single person with the words medicare for all to see if they'd said anything about it and then um you know i did mess up like five or six of them uh so what was kind of cool Out of six five or six hundred yeah like mm-hmm. yeah uh, what was kind of cool is that candidates and um, some of the uh, PACs were reaching out to me. So I know that um, had a big impact. So people, if I got someone's position wrong or um, somebody, a couple of people wanted to clarify their position, uh, w- one person who was a justice Democrat actually had to put out, put out a statement about Medicare for all because their position was kind of unclear. So that felt kind of cool that That uh, we influenced some people. Your your guide kind of was able to have this kind of impact. And do you think that's just because was it is it because it was widely shared or how did you actually launch the guide itself? So uh, we, you know, I did a lot of research. Gabby did uh, graphics and some shareable stuff that was really designed to be candy for people to share. And then um, I did a, a press release and I, I reached out to a bunch of people that work in single payer advocacy. Um, the So our, our I think on our website, it got shared like 500 times. But then the big thing that happened was um, this guy named Russell Mokieber, who works for Single Payer Action, and he's also a journalist. Um, he interviewed me about it. And then that ended up on Common Dreams which that got shared like 2000 times and uh, inspired a lot of interesting, <laughs> a lot of funny conversations where people accused us of being a high paying, high paid uh, consulting firm and ru- Russian <laughs> operatives. And um, the other funny thing was that the image that shows up on Facebook when you, when you, it's called the share image. It's um, the image that represents the article. Um, it has uh, Bernie, it has, um, Randy, uh, Randy Bryce, Randy Bryce, Kamala. Uh, no, it has it has four people. So it has Bernie, so it Randy has Bryce, Bernie, and Randy Bryce, who are the two like front guys. Yeah. And then behind that, I put in two of the other recognizable people: Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi and uh, Debbie Wasserman. Wasserman. Oh, okay. And I sort of like put them in the back 
sort of behind the other guys. Putting the women in the back. I know, right? <laughs> Classic Bernie Bro move. Yeah, totally. Um, but. but yeah, so what ended up happening was that uh, we did we did that to kind of incept this. So we didn't want it to be totally cheerleading. We want we called it the Practical Democrats Guide to Medicare for All. So we really wanted people that were not into Medicare for All to click on it because Nancy Pelosi and Debbie Wasserman Schultz were in it. But then that led to some backlash from the left because um, people just looking at the share image would say, oh, well, Nancy Pelosi and Debbie Wasserman Schultz aren't for it. Why are they up there with our Lord and Savior Bernie and Randy <laughs> Bryce? But uh, so it was kind of it was fun to do that because I know that people clicked on it that wouldn't have clicked on it because Pelosi and Wasserman Schultz were in it. So it actually did the job. I yeah. think it, it's better that <laughs> we, it... we weathered the, the criticism, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Well, uh, thank you so much for being here. So where can people find out about everything that we've just talked about, you know, up the upcoming uh, update to the guide and yeah. find the guide itself? Well, definitely uh, like Kingston Creative on Facebook. The other thing we uh, we are getting involved with uh, the the Democratic Socialists of America. So um, like Hudson Valley Democratic Socialists on Facebook as well. Um, so what that group is doing, they're really um, built out in su the southern Hudson Valley in Peekskill and Beacon. Um, but we're working with some local people to um, bring that to the Kingston, Ulster County area. Um, and there's going to be a lot of uh, advocacy around Medicare for All coming out of that group and organizing um, not around a, a single candidate. We really want to, whoever wins, we really just want to be a force for advocating for Medicare for all, no matter who wins. Ooh, last question. Um, will you support the candidate if it's someone who doesn't support Medicare for all? And that's, that's kind of been the question on my mind because so many people, including you guys are like, that's my litmus test. Uh, you know, I think, speaking for myself, I would vote for them, but then my pussy hat is not going away. Like, I will pro... If it's <laughs> if it's somebody who won't co-sponsor HR 676, then I'm going to hold them to the same standard that they hold John Faso, and, um, you know, it, it affects me and G Gabby personally, so I will be putting pressure and protesting if they don't support it. Thank you for listening to Spotlight 19. And thanks again to Gabby and Alex for stopping by. You can find out more about Kingston Creative at kingstoncreative.net. This wraps up our show today. We'll be back next week. Until we are, be well, enjoy spring. Seems like we finally arrived. And keep the faith. <laughs>